Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. We are recording this the day afterwards because that recording went really, really late. Mm -hmm. Here we are, debrief. David, your thoughts on our conversation with Preston Pish. Yeah, first thoughts is uh, when I was talking to all my like Ethereum friends that were bringing Preston Pish on the podcast, they were like, oh, they rolled their eyes. Uh, they yes. were like, oh, why are you bringing him on? He's a toxic maximalist, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was, he's a, in person on Zoom, great guy, nice guy, very, very friendly. And, you know, it's maybe something to always take note of that like Twitter's not real life. Um, maybe it's on him to be nicer on Twitter, but also like I kind of do it myself too. Um, but overall, in person, Preston was a great podcast co-host, very friendly, had a, and a very enjoyable time uh, recording with him. I should make a note that like we get flack from all sides always right. with the guests we bring on, right? Yeah. So like mm -hmm. um, some Ethereans think we bring on too many Bitcoiners, too many Bitcoin maximalists, yeah. uh -huh. right? Um, definitely a lot of Bitcoiners like. Are like stay away from maxis. Yeah, right? they're like stay away from the Bitcoin, the the, the Bankless podcast. Voice. They're yeah, just right. ETH maxis, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we why do we bring on guests? It's because we think they have something interesting to add to this conversation, and mm -hmm. we've never we haven't really had a, a Bitcoiner to Ethereum conversation, honestly, because it's hard to find a Bitcoiner who's willing, a Bitcoin maximalist who's willing to have that conversation with us and like be open to it and like not resort to, you know, Twitter, uh, like banter and like one-liners and, you know, try to win the argument and listen. And I do feel like Preston actually listened. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. You know, he, he was, was here to learn. Curious. And that's what yeah. he told us before we started recording is like, I'm, I, or maybe actually, actually afterwards is I want to learn. I'm here to learn about. Yeah. Stuff. And it was good. Cause like, I was wondering if, Oh, is this a rhetorical sort of, you know, strategy mm -hmm. of like, I say I'm here to learn, but I'm not really, right. but like, I actually think he was here to learn. And right. um, I think that came through in the, in he the had no interest in any gotchas or any tricks. Nope. No, nope. it was a, it was Super a good cool. discussion. Good job, Preston. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, what were your takeaways? What did you learn? Yeah, my biggest takeaway, my biggest uh, disappointment, I'll, I'll say, is that he hasn't used Uniswap. How can you understand DeFi and have opinions on it if you haven't used it, right? Uh, and he tried to compare uh, HODL HODL, which is a, a, a trusted custodial arbitration service in meat space, right, with using Bitcoin, uh, bank accounts for fiat settlement to trade Bitcoins and tried to compare and tried to call that DeFi on Bitcoin. I'm like, no, dude. No, like a categorical error right there. Um, and, then, and then also that, like the whole nodes thing, I'm not going to blame him for not being savvy on nodes because nodes is like, a, a, it's not a beginner level topic. Uh, and, and, you know, I've only run a node in, in my household for a very limited amount of time. I do have that box checked. I have run a node, but like it is kind of annoying and cumbersome and I'll just use MetaMask. But at the end of the day, like it's it's this very 2016 2017 like not updated version of what an ethereum node is uh, and so like to some degree like he's just uninformed about ethereum and defi and that's what makes me frustrated when he's having like twitter opinions which bitcoiners look to for leadership right that's what that's what i was a little bit disappointed yeah, about I, I said before like as a heuristic um don't trust anyone's opinion on defi who hasn't used uniswap Right. And just pick out Uniswap because it's like the entry level right. DeFi mm -hmm. app. But like mm -hmm. if they're an investor in crypto right. and they're telling you things about DeFi or how this industry is going to pan out and they don't actually use it, I don't know. It's right. hard to have an opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Hard to have an opinion. The other things that were interesting, I would say, um, 
back to kind of the 2017, it felt a little 2017, um, objecting to, to conversations there is like, uh, he, he talked about Uniswap in the context of it launching a token, mm-hmm. right? right? And I understand the anti-token sentiment from right. 2017 when there are a bunch of useless ICOs that launched futility tokens. Mm-hmm. But now we have things that resemble stocks, mm-hmm. capital assets, right? And don't even take Uniswap as an example. Take Wi-Fi as an example. Take SushiSwap as an example. These things actually deliver returns back to token holders. And these returns and these revenues are real. And Preston comes from a background of like, he's bullish Bitcoin for macro reasons, but he's also um, an investor in equities, in stocks, right? Mm-hmm. Those are his kind of his two big asset categories. And like what we're seeing here is crypto native capital assets, crypto native mm-hmm. stocks, equities, right. if you want to call them that. Um, and he still had sort of a 2017 mindset of like all tokens bad, right? which is again, I felt like not updated with what's really going on in uh, DeFi. That's another thing I'll say. Yeah. And to be honest, I had that same vibe. I had, uh, tokens are out in bear markets, right? And they're also out in, in retroactively in 2017 because all 2017 tokens, except for a very small few were complete and utter crap. Uh, yep. And so, you know, cut fair, fair, but like also you need to update, right? Because, um, and, and even I said this in, in 2018, it's like, if you, if your app doesn't need a token, don't issue one. Yeah. But now I'm updating that to say that like, because every single organization that has a token, that token has been absolute rocket fuel for generating a community, sourcing capital, and overall just having a valuable asset to leverage as a tool. It's just another tool that you can use. And when you actually instantiate real values into that token, not, not just cultural values, but also cultural values, but also real value into that token, all of a sudden people are interested in your organization way more. Uh, people want to work for your organization, help you. Uh, and so tokens are, are in now, like we figured out tokens and like, that's kind of like a new paradigm shift that, you know, legacy trad five slash Bitcoiners aren't, are maybe never going to be okay with uh, until like something really, and, and until just a whole entire world comes. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think that's it, right? It's like another thing that I felt was sort of maybe trappedish in 2017, or like adopting a narrative from 20, 2017 was actually interestingly enough, um, ETH execution risk, ETH two mm. execution risk, right? Because I would say if he gave those same statements in 2017, 2018, even 2019 about ETH's massive execution risk, um, I would have probably nodded my head in agreement, uh, and. I don't discount that there is, yes. And I don't now discount like, but I was like worried in 2017. No, 2017, I was not worried and I should have been worried. Right. In 2018, I was like legitimately worried. Like, okay, what's the plan for staking in ETH2? And it got changed. Like um, there is execution risk in the next 12 months, what we're talking about. But so much of it has been actually boiled out and mm-hmm. it's hard to assign percentages of how much has right. been boiled out. But like, if I were to do that, I would say 60% of the execution risk of ETH2 has already been boiled out at some level by like getting to this point, actually launching staking, having the beacon chain, having it live in production and having like almost date scheduled on the roadmap for next mm-hmm. steps, at least not right. to get us to 
to everything that ETH2 has promised, but getting us to the point at the merge, right? right? Like, so I think there's less execution risk than Preston might see, but I'm not discounting that there is execution risk. So if your criteria for an investment is there shall be no more technical execution risk at all. Right. And that's why I'm staying out of Ethan. Okay. Sure. But like, it's also gone down since 2017, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and plus it's like, what, what, at what side of the execution risk do you want to invest on? Right? Like, this is the same thing we had with Lynn Alden. It's like, okay, Lynn, like, feel free to wait for everything to be completed and buy $30,000 ether, like feel free to wait at that point. Right. Like if, if that's what, if that's what your, your risk reward, like personal adjustment is, then that's for you. And, and really the, the ultimate, the, we finished the, the podcast on, on like a very, um, I think finished note, like it really just came to a head where it's like, Oh yeah. Like you want Bitcoin because it's risk off. Yeah. I'm into Ethereum because the execution risk like gets me hot. Like I fucking love it. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> wow, what kind of debrief is this turning into? <laughs> All right, but it's like the other thing he said, which um, take away the execution risk though, is um, he said, hell yeah to DeFi. Mm -hmm. But he also said, the reason I'm here though, you have to understand is number one for sound money. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here, right? Right. The DeFi thing is the cherry on top, but the sound money right. is, is why I'm here. And mm -hmm. I also think that's another thing that Lynn Alden might repeat yes. to you, yep. which is like, hey, it's not just about execution risk. It's about how sound the money is. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe the thing that perked his ears a little bit is he is very much a, um, a scarcity maximalist, mm -hmm. I might say, right? He like right. believes the Bitcoin right. halving is responsible for... ETH price appreciation or Bitcoin price appreciation. Um, you know, if you're scarcity maximalist, you have to look at some of the scarcity drivers of ETH that are coming up. Totally. Pretty unique, right? So like independent of whether you think Ethereum is a scam or whatever else, like you, you have to realize the revenue that people are spending for block space, uh, that, that can't be fake. That is not a scam. And that's going to go into scarcity. You have to realize that the ETH community, if it, actually turns off proof of work issuance is going to go way down like mm -hmm. these are just facts that you have to contend with right and so if you're putting on your scarcity hat you can argue that hey in the long term eth's just going to change its issuance policy once again and it's going to inflate it's going to give it to the wealthy or whatever and therefore it's not sound money but like in the short run you kind of have to be bullish if you're a scarcity maximalist right the, the other thing that concerns me about Preston is, is and, and people that articulate the, um, the execution risk uh, argument is that I don't know when, it's, when they are going to say that, okay, the execution risk is behind us because the, the Bitcoiner meme is they move the goddamn goalposts. And, <laughs> and granted, granted, the biggest execution risk of Ethereum is ahead of us. Like we still haven't done EIP 1559 and we still haven't merged. Sharding is way, way off. Like we can make the argument that th the trajectory is really strong and the trajectory to executing those things is why Ether price has gone up because people are starting to price this in. But granted, like the, the bulk of like the execution is still ahead of us. But also it would be completely in line with like the Bitcoiner like meme that Ethereans give to them is like, oh yeah, 
with EIP 1559, now you're just talking about how proof of stake isn't, isn't live yet. And then when proof of stake is live, it's like, oh yeah, but you guys still haven't delivered sharding. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. At what point is the execution risk done, guys? Like, are you going to keep on moving the goalposts for the rest of time or what? I So when I look at Ethereum as a project, I feel like it's the, the biggest risk was actually that it would it would produce a whole bunch of blocks and they would be like, there would be no apps on top mm -hmm. of them. There would be no DeFi. Right. Like th this is the risk for new projects in general. It's, it's less blocks. about like, yeah, it's empty blocks. It's not about like, we have the problem of um, we can't scale. That's a good problem to have. I remember the early days of Twitter um, and I used to get like, used to refresh Twitter and get the fail whale mm -hmm. all the time. And why? Like that just meant like the page wouldn't load. It was airing out and they put this like whale on, on mm. the screen. And people are like, it's the end of Twitter. Like they can't scale. What, like what's going on? I mean, this is terrible. Facebook can scale. And it's just like, no, those are the good problems to have mm -hmm. for any new project is mm -hmm. it's so busy. There's so much demand. There's such good product market fit that you have to scale. Right. And to me, like the early criticisms of Ethereum, even in 2017, there's just a bunch of ICOs. Like those were the deepest criticisms. Now that DeFi is thriving, like that it works, that we have things like Uniswap, man, I feel like the, the, ex, the real execution risk has been completely boiled out of the project. Mm -hmm. Now it's just a matter of time before the Ethereum project scales. That's right. how I view it, but I think Preston has a totally different lens on it. And the other thing about execution risk is that like, say we try and implement EIP-1559 or, or uh, we get to the merge and like we mess it up and something goes wrong it's not we'll just do it again like we'll <laughs> yeah. figure it out <laughs> i like, know i know don't don't short human ingenuity and don't short some of the smartest developers in the ethereum space and all the incentives right mm -hmm. so many incentives to get it right like we can problem solve it's not like uh you know here here it comes like i hope it works oh it didn't work it's one project over let's go to yeah. bitcoin <laughs> DeFi on bitcoin like no it's not working like that <laughs> no we'll figure it out yeah totally how how much of this did you do you feel like is just uh tribal stuff it's just tribal stuff it's just like there's a decent amount of echoing because i know that preston is echoing what he hears as evidence i'm sure we do that too to an extent don't we like we have to don't we like when you when you're doing yeah, it do you actually right. see it <laughs> <laughs> is that well, a fair is... thing to say <laughs> i mean this is a little bit like it's kind of like um when I tweet something, even if it's wrong, but if I'm tweeting it in my tribe approves, the crowd's mm -hmm. going to go wild, sure. you know? So yeah. like, what do I do? I continue to tweet right. the same sort of things and say yeah. the same talking points because there's an audience who wants that. And I wonder how much of it's kind of that mm -hmm. you're not actually, you just, it's just like in tribe approval kind of thing. Right. Like the, where I, where I'm coming from is like, if you're one of your main criticisms of Ethereum is the whole node thing and you don't know the difference between, and like he was talking about, all right, which, which one of these nodes is going to be the thing that, that helps sharding. And he's like, is it the art, is it the big, big node or the little, the little, little node? I'm like, do you mean an archive node versus a full node? And it's like, yeah. And like, which is the full node that does all the sharding stuff? And I'm like, dude, they're all full nodes. Like it's the same as Bitcoin. It's the same, same. And yeah. like, you just know that he's never run an Ethereum node. He doesn't know the basic node ar architecture. Neither do I, but I know I know it better than he does. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I think there's some of that. It's just repeat. But look, the only way you get over this is you actually engage people and talk to them to the extent that they want to be engaged. So Preston came on the podcast, engaged mm-hmm. with us. Yep. He wanted to Promise. learn. This is this is how we actually um, get these two communities talking mm-hmm. to each other to the extent that um, like they're willing to do that. And here's the thing too, is like, I, I will say this to people. I am a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Like, and I believe in Bitcoin values. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, obviously. I don't right. believe in, you know, toxic maximalism. I think mm-hmm. um, like Ethereum is kind of like captured, I think what I value in this space more, mm-hmm. but I'm still a Bitcoiner. And overlap. sometimes I feel like, overlap. yeah, there's overlap, but sometimes I feel like ostracized by that community a little bit. Right. It's like, unless you're this, 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 and this, right. it came out in our Eric Wall conversation. Like you have to toe the line. Otherwise you right. get excommunicated from the faith. So like the, the Bitcoin headless brand allows for the most uh, just loudest Bitcoiners to rise to the top. And the loudest Bitcoiners are always the one that chants the Bitcoin chant loudest. And it naturally converges into maximalism. The people that the, the Bitcoiners that are known to be Bitcoiners are the Bitcoin maximalists because they're chanting the Bitcoin chant the most. And so it na- it's a natural organic convergence upon maximalism. And that's the problem with headless brands is like people forget and you and I forget to call ourselves Bitcoiners because we don't chant the same chant, although we do like Bitcoin and appreciate Bitcoin's values, but we get right. drowned out by, by the loud ones. Isn't that a scalability limiter? Because then you just, like I feel, so after the Bitcoin conference, Max Kaiser goes on stage, he's like, fuck Elon. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to tell people that, like right. I identify less with that culture. Right. So no, Elon's getting us to Mars. Don't fuck Elon. Like, well, it's just like, and why would you even say that? And like, right. what's the point? And it's, uh, it's just, pleaser. right. Pleaser. So, and, um, and then Eric Voorhees says, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit in response yeah. to toxic maximalism. And he gets booed. No, I don't feel like more of a Bitcoiner when right. I see things like this. I feel like right. less of one. Right. Um, I guess that's just how this, this mm. works. This evolves. Right. L- loud leadership guides. I'll call them the sheeple guides the sheeple. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're all, I don't know. We're all sheeple, but we're all sheeple to some degree. Yeah. All right. Um, that was a I debrief. Like this, that was a debrief. But like one, one last thing I want to say is I feel like this is probably the last Bitcoiner Ethereum episode that we do for a while. Like yeah. I'm good for a while. That was it. Like that was, and I'm very glad we did it. And I'm very happy with how it went. And I'm not, I get less and less value out of it. Good. That's how I feel too. Cool. All right, guys. Like, that was it. Eric Voorhees, Nick Carter, uh, Hazu, like, to the extent Hazu. Yeah. Like Eric Wall, Udi, Udi can come on, man. Udi, Udi's in the club. <laughs> but, uh, like after that, like there's a very short list. Someday pomp though. Okay. We'll, we'll do pomp. We'll do. <laughs> All right. Like, I'm going to say swear words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. That was a debrief. Goodbye. <laughs>